Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. When I used to work at Glamour Magazine, we would say beauty is 99% confidence and 1% lip gloss. Giving away free classes, I thought it would get people to come in here. Well, I learned giving away free classes is the worst thing you could ever do when you start a business. You do not want to do that. And I know I can do anything. And I've always felt that way. If I think it, I can do it, and I can do anything that I set my mind to. And no is not an option. And that's actually something I learned at Vogue, was don't come to me with no, with no, with no. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show, we have Susie Yaloff Schwartz. She's the creator of Unplug Meditation. It's a physical brick and mortar building in Los Angeles, as well as a best-selling app. I love this interview with her, and here's why. She has had a career that is just freaking amazing. I mean, she has been in the fashion world. She worked for Anna Wintour. She's been a makeover specialist on the Oprah show. She was a fashion correspondent on Good Morning America. And she had a point in her career where she was just stressed out. And one day, her mother-in-law was like, dude, you are, this is her mother-in-law speaking. Her mother-in-law doesn't talk that way. This is my interpretation. Dude, you are stressed out. You need to do, you need to do some meditation. And she just sort of like walked her through this quasi meditation and she felt good. She found herself moving to LA And so she figured, well, I'm in LA. I could just drop in and do a meditation somewhere. No such luck. There was nothing that existed like it. So what she did was build it. And she built a physical location that is sought after by the hottest celebrities in town to the hottest tech entrepreneurs. I mean, there's a line trying to get in this place. was lucky enough to have her on the show. It was an amazing interview. We talked about what it's like being with Oprah, What's it like working for Anna Wintour? What's it like in COVID when you're doing a physical meditation center? What's it like to create an app? I loved this interview. I learned so much. She is my new bestie. So without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Susie Yaloff Schwartz.
Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. You know, I think a good jumping off place would be to retrace uh, some of your steps in the early years growing up in Jersey. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to start uh, perhaps with the influence in your early fashion career. And I think if research, uh, my research is correct, he was the COO of Macy's Northeast. Did I get that right? Close. He was the president of oh, Macy's. Even better. Even better. Uh, yeah. In what ways do you think that his position sort of influenced your early years in fashion? Well, he let me roam around the store and I would go to visit him. And Macy's at the time when he was there was the hottest store in all of New York City. They had this thing called the cellar where they had just like every new culinary star showing up. They had fashion from Paris, Milan, and just the craziest fashions you could ever imagine. They had a floor that was just high fashion. It wasn't the Macy's that you know today. So for me, I just fell in love with fashion. And I had dreams of being a fashion editor when I grew up. And yeah, I just, I would come to school and wear the craziest clothes ever. And people were just like, what's that? And then everybody would start wearing it. So it really, it was just, it was a fantasy land. You know, it's interesting. I grew up in, uh, in Queens and um, I spent a lot of years going into Manhattan. And I know that, uh, that Macy's store that you're talking about, and it looks nothing like what we see in the malls around, uh, around America now. It was, a, it was a different time and it was a different place. You mentioned uh, Paris. So let's fast forward just a bit uh, into the 80s. And uh, you studied at the Sor so, if, uh, Sorbonne. <laughs> you got to drop the bleh. It's like cordon bleu. <laughs> uh, Paris. Uh, during, uh, during that period, you worked for Patrick Kelly. How would you describe what that part of your life was like, sort of like looking back on it now? Because I know during those years, it was probably just a, you know, a blur, but you know, with more mature eyes upon sober reflection, how do you see that time in your life? Working for Patrick Kelly was the sexiest job on the planet. He was this famous fashion designer, the first Black man to ever be admitted into the Chambre Syndicale in Paris. And he would go, I was talking about this yesterday, actually, to a friend. He would take me to this area called the Bois de Boulogne, which was this um, park. And it was almost like a sex park at night. And he had this town car and he would drive around and he'd have me with him look at what people were wearing. So there were a lot of transvestites wearing these like thigh high boots and heels like this and crazy clothes. And he'd say, tomorrow, I want you to go into the um, fabric stores and see if you can find that. <laughs> I would say, Really? Um, so it was just, and we had the top models in the entire world, like Iman and all these amazing people wearing his sexy clothes and doing all the fashion shows. And I think what I learned most from him is my work ethic. So I started working at, oh gosh, eight o'clock in the morning 
to be there before he got there. And I would work sometimes in full around the clock because if we were doing collections, you worked 24 seven. And it wasn't like the times now where people had to take breaks and I just loved it. It was crazy. It was fun. And I just was all about making his mission and vision a reality. And I was excited to work for him. What do you think you learned from that period that you still apply today? You mentioned work ethic. Is there anything that was truly formative for you during that time that looking back on now, you you know, you're like, I I still, I still kind of think of things, you know, from what I learned back then. Is there anything that you've applied back then to now? Well, there was a woman who um, was his best friend named Tookie Smith. And she was, I think, with Robert De Niro at the time. I remember I remember Robert De Niro and Tukey. They were the hot uh, couple in Manhattan at the time. Yeah. And I remember I was wearing baggy clothes. And this is might not sound very PC right now, but I was like hiding my body because I didn't want anyone looking at me because I had a decent body underneath. And she looked at me and she's like, girl, once you learn to love them, honey, they can be your best friends. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Why am I hiding myself? So I think she really gave me body confidence. And I think Patrick was all about body confidence and confidence. And I think confidence is 99% of how you get there. Um, Even if you don't have confidence, you can fake it until you make it. And I believe I learned that from him to just be confident. It's interesting. I was in, uh, I was in Greece and there was uh, this couple that we met from Russia and they were just, just this like beautiful, they were into fashion. Like they were just like obsessed with fashion. Like they had like closets in their house that were just for black color, like black color. Like it was like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I said, I'd love to go, I'd love to go out with you one, you know, one afternoon and go shopping because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And uh, he said, yeah, man, I'll take you shopping. So we went out and I put something on and I said, I feel terrible in it. And he said, well, then you'll be terrible in it. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, it's, you gotta own, like, you have to own it. Either the hat wears you or you wear it. Mm-hmm. And it, it struck me because when he said it, I was like, mm, maybe, but I, I, I'm learning from you that confidence mm-hmm. is just as much a part of how the outfit looks on you mm-hmm. as how the outfit looks on you. Did I get that right? Yep. And when I used to work at Glamour Magazine, we would say beauty is 99% confidence and 1% lip gloss. And I Whoa, that's definitely good. believe that that's true because beauty is really an inside out thing. And that's what I love about what I'm doing now is... I'm really interested in feeling good on the inside. And I think when you feel good on the inside, you look great on the outside. And when you look great on the outside, it makes you feel great on the inside. So I think the two really balance each other. So when people always say, I I like to talk about this company called the Dry Bar, which is a blowout bar. Um, Some people don't know about it. But you walk in and in 30 minutes, you walk out and your hair is done and you feel great because they make your hair look amazing. And there's something to be said about that, that the external and the internal affect each other. Mm, It's really interesting. I had not put the two, we're going to, we're going to, 
you know, this interview will split into kind of two parts, your beginning, your fashion part, and then we're going to get into unplugged, but I want people to understand how you wound up there. Mm -hmm. Um, you made your way back to the Northeast and you interviewed with, um, somebody that, uh, you know, is probably the most famous person in your world, in that world, which is Anna Winter. Do you say winter or winter? Winter. Winter. Okay. And I'm sure you've been asked this question or you've been asked some version of this question a billion times. But what I'd love to know from you is what question do people never ask you about the experience that you had with her that you wish they did? Wow. I mean, it was pretty amazing that she interviewed every single assistant going into Vogue. She didn't just hire the editors. She had to put her stamp of approval on the assistants. And I think that's very smart. But she did ask me an interesting question. And that was, what do you do when you're not working? Mm. Ooh, that's good. I think the reason why she asked that question in retrospect was because she wanted to make sure that I was the type of person that was actually going out a lot because you can't understand clothing unless you are going to places where you can wear it and see it. That's interesting. She wanted people who were going to places where you could wear interesting clothing and see interesting clothing and be around fashion. So someone had already prepared me for that question before she asked it of me. (laughs) So I I was fortunate enough to say, you know, I love to go to parties. I like to go to nightclubs. I like to go to charity events. And that's where all the great clothes are. So... What do you love? What do you love to do outside of work? I love to wear beautiful clothes to amazing parties in Paris. Why? Why do you ask? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I I do. I love that. (laughs) I love seeing people. And and someone else said this, and I love it so much. You know, you never remember average hair or average clothes, but you always remember really bad hair and clothes and really great hair and clothes. Oh, that's really good. Of the (laughs) Of the many incredible experiences you've had in the fashion part of your life, um, you had one that I'm sure stands out, and that was going on Oprah, doing makeovers. Mm -hmm. Could you sort of like walk me through what it was like to work with her and her team, and maybe what kind of impact that had on you moving forward? Actually, what happened was I came up with this idea when I was at Glamour Magazine to, they were doing these makeovers with bathing suits to make you look bigger, make you look smaller in every single area of your body. And it really worked. But then they were shooting them on mannequins. And I said, we should really put them on real people. And when we did that, that's when Oprah saw that and was like, can you do that for our show? So I actually went to the Bahamas, Atlantis. They were opening up that place Atlantis just when I went there with Tyra Banks and Oprah. And I went on the beach of Atlantis with these bathing suits and had real people trying them on and doing the before and afters. And then we did a runway show and she loved it and it was fun and it was great. And she could not have been more gracious. It was interesting because she doesn't like to talk to her guests until they're on the set. 
she wants to keep it fresh. I remembered that um, for the first time I spoke with her. And then she invited me back to do the same thing in Chicago a year later. And it was the same thing. And when I was sitting in her right next to her in Chicago, and I was looking at the audience and I was watching people cry. Just when they when they saw her. Just even seeing her, they started hysterically crying. It was like she was the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her and I was kind of like, what does that feel like? Yeah. And she looked at me and she's like, I don't know what she said. I don't really remember. But what I do remember was feeling that she felt that it was just overwhelming and she didn't believe in her, you know, herself. She's a human being. She was a very, she was very much a human being. And then she wrote me a handwritten thank you note afterwards, which I should have written her the handwritten thank you note. So she was just amazing and complimentary and kind and, she just really wants to help people. Do you remember the moment that either you read the email, got the phone call, or somebody brought to your attention, hey, they uh, they want you to be on the Oprah show? Do you remember no. that moment? No. And I'll be honest, I was also doing Good Morning America with Diane Sawyer. And, you know, I was on with Barbara Walters and Oprah. And it was at a time when I was so young and I was checking the boxes. I wasn't really focused on, wow, this is happening. I never thought about it. I was just doing and going. And I really wanted more and more and more. I was so hungry that I wasn't really landing in the present moment. So it never really shocked me. And I remember my father gave me the best advice at all. He's like, never confuse who you are with what you do. And I really felt strongly about that. And when I worked with everybody, I remembered that nobody cares about me. It was really about what I can do for them. And I went on to every single show and program, not being self-conscious and not thinking this is me, but thinking about what I can do for whoever's the person watching on the other side of the screen. And that was very helpful. I still do that. This is this is great. It's a perfect transition for where I want to go now. Um, I believe that contrast creates clarity. So for you to fully understand where you are with Unplug, you've had to have you had to have had this life of Oprah and Diane Sawyer and and all of this coming at you to truly get the depth of what it is that you're doing now. And there was a sort of a transition moment at that point for you. Can you take me back to having the conversation with your friend who was happily living in Malibu and why that conversation triggered you to move out here? I'm in Los Angeles too, to the West Mm -hmm. Coast. Mm -hmm. So I was here dressing Robin Roberts for the Oscars. And I'd really only known Los Angeles to be the Chinese theater because I would come out for the Oscars to do reporting for CNN, different TV shows. And I never came to Malibu. I had never been to Santa Monica. I'd never seen any of that. And I went to go visit my friend, Joe Flanagan, who's an actor. And he had three kids and they were running around the fields of Malibu. And I thought about my three kids who were in Manhattan climbing up the walls. 
And as a joke, when I came home, I said to my husband, you know, Joe's kids are running in Malibu. Maybe we should move to Los Angeles. And then he got out of the blue, a job offer to move out to Los Angeles two weeks later. Do you think it was out of the blue? I always like to, you know, keep my feet on the ground and say, look, I believe in the universe sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Only when it's working in my favor. So... When it's not, I don't believe in it. Um, just like most people. So yeah, I I felt like it was definitely fortuitous. And then when it happened, I really didn't want to go because my family lives in Manhattan and I had the best job. And the idea of just like leaving my job and leaving Manhattan and moving to LA was not something I ever really wanted to do. And then when I did it, it was really shocking and fun. Okay. So, so now the, the New York type A personality, hyper-driven, successful girl comes out West. And what did that feel like to you to go from fifth gear to like (laughs) first, second gear chilling in LA? Was that, was that difficult for you to downshift? It was so uncomfortable. I mean, I think you would feel the same way. I don't know if you've ever not worked in your life. I never have. I worked in college. I worked afterwards. I never taken a moment to just stop. Yeah. So not working and stopping and being with my three children, meeting all these people, making all these friends, um, it felt really weird and aimless and uncomfortable for me. Um, and by the way, like I love my kids and I, I love meeting new people, but I feel like I need to be doing. And that's so interesting because I'm in a business of being. So I, I basically spent six months having breakfast, lunch, and dinner with different people. And I was getting fat. you know, going out with all these different people, eating all the time. And then it was very strange to just talk about kids. And I was like, can we not talk? Let's talk about like other things. And, and yeah, I, and then I started working again and went back into fashion. And then I was really stressed out because I had no support network here in Los Angeles. So my mother-in-law on a trip to New York City was like, you have to breathe. And that was the beginning of this whole thing. Yeah. So um, at that point, uh, you've you had this sort of impromptu meditation session with your mother-in-law, which by the way, when I think about an impromptu meditation session with my mother-in-law, I just can't stop laughing. It, there's just something about it just seems crazy to me. So you must have a very special uh, mother-in-law. And you, you know, you sort of like realize that you needed something to help mitigate the stress that you were under, but there, there wasn't a ton of options that were available for you. Do you remember the conversation you had with your husband, Mark, about opening up potentially a meditation studio because nothing existed at the time to help you? Right. I remember him saying to me, don't you think someone else would have done this if it could be successful? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, 
Mm-hmm. I'm unrealistic like that, by the way. And then he said, well, don't you think you should learn how to meditate first? <laughs> because the idea actually came to me because I wanted to learn how to meditate and I found it very complicated. It was either really long courses or really expensive or really boring. And I'm like, where is the dry bar concept? Going back to that concept where you can go in and out in 30 minutes and feel better. Where is that? And then I'm just like, I'm going to do this. And he's like, okay, here's how much money we can lose. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that's literally like what's something somebody would say on their way to Vegas. Yep. Here's the amount of money that we can lose on this idea. 50% has to come from you. I'll put in the other 50. And yeah, that's how we started Unplug. All right. So now seven years later, by the way. Is how many years? It's seven years old. Seven years. Wow. So now you've got unplugged. You've got uh, you know, you've got this sort of like build it and they will come philosophy, right? Do you remember what that first year was like where you are passionate about what you're bringing out to the world? But you gotta fill the box, you gotta make it work. What were those stresses like? And how did you overcome them? I love that you're asking this question because a lot of entrepreneurs feel exactly like I do. If I build it, they will come. This is the greatest idea in the world. And we talk to everybody we know and everybody says the same thing. If you build that, I'll be there every single day. And then you open it up. You have a big launch party and everybody shows up to support you. And then the day of your opening day shows and crickets, nobody shows up. And then you're like, wait, where are all my friends? And they're not showing up. And then they're like seeing you like this. They don't, huh? you know, this is a very predictable, normal pattern. And my sister was so smart. And she said, Susie, you can't rely on your friends and you can't expect them to show up. You know, who's your audience? And the audience that I had first thought was going to be my audience was not my audience at all. So, I um, actually, there was a tree hugger, a guy who wrote Hugging Trees in Los Angeles. And he was pretty much my only client for the first week of Unplugged. There were random people who would come in. And then I was like, what am I doing wrong? I was giving away free classes. I thought it would get people to come in here. Well, I learned giving away free classes is the worst thing you could ever do when you start a business. You do not want to do that. So there was a guy who basically came up to me. He worked at Yoga Works and he said, where's your intro offer? You need to sell it for like super cheap. And then people will come every single day because they want to get like maximum value out of the money spent, like a one month unlimited for $40. And I put that up. I started selling that and it pretty soon became so crowded that I couldn't even get into my own classes. And I would walk into the studio and there would be celebrities there. Um, You wouldn't believe the people you were seeing, but there would be a huge star next to a tree hugger, next to a surgeon, next to a CEO, next to a mom. There was no commonality in the clients. It was not like Soul Cycle where it was all wealthy moms. It was the most eclectic and is the most eclectic group of people. And there were also, you know, there was a group of women who were coming who were really lonely and they were 75 
And then they would tell other people. And then all of a sudden I had this like huge group of 75 year olds who were just like coming and connecting and, you know, becoming best friends. And they were then doing Passover dinners together outside of the studio and they created this network and there would be little mini micro networks inside of the studio. And, and that's really how it launched. So it was six months of where is everybody? And then it was after that really crowded, especially at night, it became a total scene. You know, I remember talking with uh, Tim Ferriss and we talked about uh, focus groups and he said, you know, when you really have a focus group, when you pull after they say, oh yeah, I'd buy it. You pull your car up with a, a car, uh, a trunk load full of the shit and you open it up and you say 10 bucks each, who's buying? Whoever buys, that's the focus group. And it, it struck me because we all have this build it and they'll come mentality mm-hmm. until you build it and they don't come and you have to pivot and figure out what to do. You mentioned that you had a vision for who you thought your demo would be mm-hmm. and who it actually wound up being was different. And there's all these little sort of micro micro demos within it. Mm-hmm. Over the course of seven years, well, my first question is, who did you think the demo was going to be originally? Did you think it was going to be you? I thought it was going to be me. And seven years later, is the demo still these little micro demos within it or is it, has it now become more homogenized? Um, it is micro demos still. still. So we have a bunch of tech guys who come in, you know, from Snapchat and I, I mean, from Facebook too and Red Bull will come into the studio. And then we have the lawyers that are coming in from across the street. And then we have, you know, some hippies that like are really into breath work and really, you know, and then we'll have, it's just, and celebrities and a lot of casting agents. And, you know, actually a couple of our front deskers have been put into television shows because casting agents have seen them working at the front desk and had them and, people have met different people. So there's a lot of actors too, who come to our studio. So it's been just an adventure. Did it wind up and we're going to, I want to move into COVID and then I want to move into the app. And then I want to, then I want to talk to you about, I'm going to take you on a, on a ride and ask you some personal questions, but it'll be fun. I want to ask you first about COVID because obviously when you're doing group meditations, you're all physically in the same place. Yeah. What was that like a year and a half ago when they said you, you can't open? I, I know that you had the app prior to that, so I'm sure that that helped. But right. what was that period like? So what happened was a front desk group showed up and they were looked like they death. And I'm like, how are you coming to the... You know, We have been hearing about COVID. This was in February. And I said... Or maybe it was in March. It was March. It was March 13th that she came. And I said, if I can't control my own staff from showing up, I can't control the client. I'm shutting down. And there were like four people there who were clients that I really trust who had been there all the time. And I said, if I close tomorrow, what are you guys going to do? And they're like, you can't close tomorrow. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go virtual tomorrow. I don't know how to do it yet. I will figure it out. But by tomorrow, every single class on the schedule, you will be able to do in the privacy of your own home. Would you stay members? And they both said yes. 
And they both are still members, which is amazing. This was in, you know, 2020, right? 2000, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. We're in, 20, we're, in, we're in 21, yeah. Yeah. So, wow, I'm so appreciative of them, to be honest with you. And so the next day, we I had a meeting with all the staff and I had a Zoom conference with all the teachers. And I said, by tomorrow, all of you will be teaching from your homes. And they're like, well, how do we do that? And I said, you don't have to worry. We're going to have a conversation with you tomorrow morning. And we will show you every piece of equipment you can use, how you're going to do this, how we're going to work it in the beginning until you get the equipment. And we're going to do this. And they said, I trust you. And it was really amazing that all the teachers trusted me, all the staff trusted me, and we actually did it. We went virtual on March 14th. What did it feel like for you as an entrepreneur? Because to be honest, if I were in your shoes, I would feel like, shit, this is over. This, How are we going to do this? But you didn't. You yeah. immediately stepped into pivot mode. Do you think it was your previous, you know, uh, history of, I don't know, of doing runway shows where like the model doesn't show up at the last minute and you got to figure it out or three, two, one, and you're live with either Diane Sawyer and all that thinking on your feet stuff that you had to do. Do you, do you perhaps view that as training or preparation for being able to pivot? I believe that Unplug is an essential business and that people need meditation now more than they ever did. And at that time, so I was, I care about the customer. Like I actually do. I love them and I care about them and I care about the teachers and I care about the staff. So there was no thought in my brain that I was going to fire everybody and close shop the next day. There was no way that was going to happen. So I, and I know I can do anything. And I've always felt that way. If I think it, I can do it. And I can do anything that I set my mind to. And no is not an option. And that's actually something I learned at Vogue was don't come to me with no. Ooh, that's going to be my pull quote, by the way. I'm pulling that audio right out. And you're going to hear that audio echo through the internet. I don't need to touch that. We just dropped the mic. That was damn good. Let's talk about your app. Um, we are now in a world of COVID and people are saying, well, I'm home. I need to meditate. I'm stressed out. I'm having panic attacks. Um, the world's coming to an end. I haven't been touched by anybody or anything. My head is spinning. I need help. And they're reaching out to lots of apps, right? There's, uh, there's Calm and there's Headspace and there's Transcendental Meditation and there's all kinds of things. How is yours positioned differently? Um, let's start there from the other apps. I love that you're asking me this question. Um, first of all, all of the apps that you mentioned are incredible and they're great apps. Ours is different because we have these teachers with huge personalities who are legendary. And they're on our app teaching in video. So you see them and you feel connected to them. So a lot of meditation apps out there have monotone voices and you're spending the entire time breathing. And by the end, you're like, okay, how much longer is this thing? <laughs> but ours is not like that. We're all about... Look, I'm from New York. 
And I've yeah. done a lot of television segments. So I know how to make it an experience, how to make it powerful, and how to make people feel like they've transitioned in under 10 minutes. And that's what Unplug is all about. It's about pulling at your heartstrings, connecting with you, and changing your energy. Like we've all felt secondhand stress from other people, right? Someone's stressed, they contact us, they make us stressed. Imagine being able to press a button in those moments of stress and completely shift your state. That's what Unplug, the Unplug app is all about. But it's not just that. So also a lot of meditation apps are just mindfulness or meditation. We are not that. We have sound baths, hypnosis for confidence, hypnosis for weight loss, hypnosis for like wanting to motivate you to work out. We have tapping, aromatherapy, crystal healing, guided visualization. So you can literally see your ideal life, your future self, your past life. You can, but we do it in a way with a point of view. And our point of view is very simple. So Steve Jobs has a philosophy and he used to have a sign on his wall that said, simplify, simplify, simplify. And he crossed out two simplifies. That's our philosophy as well. We simplify the practice. We make it a technique. We make it engaging and fun and inspirational. So you actually will want to do it because meditation can be really boring. And there are a lot of different ways to do it. Like transcendental and Vedic, you're using a mantra and you use that same mantra 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. And for the people who can do that, it is an incredible practice. But for someone like me who needs variety to keep going, that's what the Unplug app is all about. And also, I believe that you meditate for a little bit every day and it will make an impact. And I've seen it and we've studied it and it works. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I just did a, uh, about four or five months ago, I did a, uh, a TM class and uh, it was, you know, it was life-changing, you know, mm-hmm. doing it. But you're right. After a while, you get up, it's twice a day and you're saying mantra, 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 eight billion times. And you sort of, you know, it's like eating your veggies. Like you got to like, you know, for, I don't know, I don't love vegetables, but mm-hmm. you, I'm like forcing myself to do it. Uh, because I know it's good for me, mm-hmm. but at the end, I need a little variety. I need a little something. Um, and then I switched to the Calm app and it was like the same chick doing it every single time. And I was like, I, I, I can't with you anymore. Like, I'm, like, I've listened to you tell me every story under the sun. I need something else. And then the same thing with Headspace. It was the same guy. And so I love what you're doing because you're, you're giving variety mm-hmm. And frankly, I think you're giving permission for people to try different things. Maybe one day it's a sound bath, maybe another day it's a visualization, maybe another day it's a great teacher that you love. Mix it up and keep yourself motivated to want to plug in, to unplug. That was good, by the way. Um, So that's great. By the way, was unplugged a difficult name for you to get? I feel like somebody would have had that already. It wasn't actually. That's unbelievable. So, but the but the URL was the okay. URL cost us a lot of money to get because there's a guy who buys all the URLs and bought them a billion years ago so that he could stick it to the few people in the future. I and I was a victim of that. Tom was also. But I love what you say because 
I just want to add one little thing. And that yeah. is that there is a, you know, you were talking about a singular voice in some of the different thing, places that you went. We have over 80 teachers and over 900 meditations. And you, some people go on there and like they'll tap into a David G who's a legend and they'll want to just do the 50 videos that we have of his. Or they'll find Tracy Stanley or all these different teachers and then they resonate with that. But what I like is the surprise and delight. So every single month we do a meditation challenge and it's on the home screen. You click it, featured playlist. And what I do is I just wake up, click it, and I just get the surprise and delight every morning. And I know it's 10 minutes or under and it's always good because we produced every single video that is on the app. So we, it's quality. It's not like there are some meditation apps with a variety of teachers, but they'll let anybody go on to the app. We don't do that. Like we hire all of our teachers. We find them, we source them, they teach here, they have huge classes, and then we share them. Are your classes filmed in studio or do you do it um, filmed in studio with clients or they without clients? Okay. So the app is separate. So the app has been curated, filmed, edited, produced, and now it's on the app. But as I mentioned before, with COVID, we went from having live classes only to having virtual classes only. And then right now in this present moment, we are doing hybrid classes. So the teachers are coming to the studio and they're teaching to the people in Spain and, you know, Greece, and you're going to be in Italia, like yeah. they'll be teaching to you there. You could tap into a class, but they're teaching live from the studio. So the 20 people who are in the studio are actually getting a live experience. And the people that are in Europe or wherever they're watching from can actually have that same kind of in-studio live experience. I know you don't have to make this choice, but if I put some constraints on you and said, you can only pick one studio or digital, meaning the app, which one would you pick? That's a great question. Um, digital. I feel that. I feel <laughs> that from you. It's interesting. I want to talk to you a little bit about how you, uh, in our remaining moments, how you sort of view certain things in life. And I first want to ask you about your Santorini trip that didn't happen. I just got back from Greece and your, your trip was to go to Santorini when? I've ch- there's been several stages of my life. So I was supposed to go for my 10-year anniversary, didn't happen. Supposed to go for my 20-year anniversary and it didn't happen. So it still has not happened, but it is a fantasy and it looks amazing there. Okay. Well, when you're ready, you'll have to reach out to me. I go, I do one month a year uh, in the Greek islands every year for the last 15. So I know it like the back of my hands and I will be able to, uh, to help you if you need some help. Well, Rob, Uh, I feel like I want to be your friend. I, I don't know if there's something about you, like I would love to take this off the podcast and hang. You got it. You can do that. Anytime, anytime you want, you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, I felt myself, you know, you asked if I had ever experienced a time where I hadn't worked and uh, no, the answer is I haven't, uh, which is one of the reasons why we're moving to Florence, because I want to put myself in an environment of people that don't value work at the level that we value work. Like I can't control myself Mm -hmm. and I need to, you know, have some olive oil and wine and lasagna and, and, you know, 
church bells ringing in cobblestone streets to get me in state to focus on things that are uh, of more importance at this stage in my life. Um, be 55 next month. And I don't know, you know, we got one life. I want to live it. So YOLO. Y- YOLO. <laughs> okay. Um, random <laughs> questions. Just roll with it. What's on your nightstands? Oh, um, Lady Parts by Deb Copagan. And I'm, she's a good friend of mine. And it's a crazy book. Oh my God, you just made my heart sink because I thought it happened again. The last person I asked this was a woman and she said, I swear to God, straight face. She said, my vibrator. And I went, I went and you said lady parts. I was like, oh no, this is happening again. This is happening again. So I'm assuming lady parts is a book. It's a book. Thank Um, God. By Deborah Copagan. (laughs) And she's a good friend and she wrote Shutter Babe and she's just a really talented writer. What do people often get wrong about you? Um, that I'm a perfectionist and neat. What is one thing that you've not gotten to in your life, but if you don't get there, you're going to have massive regret? Santorini. I thought that was coming. Okay. What are some things that you're currently doing that you really don't love and you would love it if you could do less of this? KPIs. <laughs> Did you read the book Traction? No. I get the book Traction. It's all about KPIs. Okay. It's amazing. Okay. It's this big of what you don't want to do anymore, but that's another <laughs> Okay. Um, what is uh, the one rule that you have for yourself that you'll never break? Um, meditation. First thing in the morning. I will never not do that ever again. Other than meditation, what's a new behavior or habit that has most improved your life? Making Sundays about fun days. I have the girls over, I host a lunch, and I connect and I hang out in my egg-shaped swing chairs in my (laughs) garden, and we just egg. I call it egging. So (laughs) egging has been the greatest thing that came out of COVID for me. I am totally going to be... Egging this weekend. I love that. What is an unusual or absurd thing that you love? In other words, people would look and go, well, that's a little unusual or that's kind of absurd, but you love it. Liverwurst sandwiches. That falls in squarely in the category perfectly. What's one goal that you thought, when I achieve this, my life is going to be amazing? And then you got it and you're like, eh, it didn't really give me what I thought it was going to give me. Being on television. Other than Greece, if you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Bora Bora. And I've been there and it's the greatest place on the entire planet. It's the cleanest water. It's the chicest place. Ugh, I just love it. Uh, that's really cool. Are there any positions or opinions in the last few years? It could be way back. It doesn't have to be in the last few years that you've changed your mind substantially where you shifted your position and you're like, you know, I used to think this way, but I don't think that way anymore. I mean, I pivot daily. (laughs) 
<laughs> so you're asking me that question, but I think with this whole COVID thing, for me, the latest thing is to just open my arms and embrace everyone with love. Like mm-hmm. everybody's fighting. Everybody has their strong opinions. Like if they don't get the vaccine, they're crazy. And the other people are like, they got the vaccine. They're crazy. And I'm just like, I'm just going to love everyone up. And my opinion is to know that I don't know everything. I love that. I, you know, it's funny. I just literally wrote a post. You'll see it on my Instagram this morning. Being in, in the, in the States for the last year and a half with COVID, I haven't been touched. I haven't been hugged much. Mm -hmm. Um, We're doing this like little fist bump thing, you know, but when we got to Greece, it was crazy. I mean, like hugs and kisses and I hadn't felt it in a year and a half. And I go every year, but it's been a year and a half. Mm -hmm. It was like an assault on my senses. I was like, holy shit. Like, but it got me thinking, like I spoke to one guy, I was like, do you guys worry about it? He said, come on. He said, we're the first civilization. We've been around 2000 years. We've, we've got the, we got the owner's manual figured out. You're going to be fine. Give me a hug. And it was like, it was a great reframe. So I love that you said that with, uh, with every new level comes a new devil. What are you currently struggling with? Oh, I'm not currently struggling with it, but I'm creating something epic that is about to happen that I haven't worked out all the details on. So I would say that is my struggle. So do you want to know what it is? I, I didn't think you were going to... too long of a thing? I didn't think you were going to tell me. No, no, no. This is take as much time as you need. Okay. So when I was in New York City, I saw this incredible art exhibition, which was these signs by this guy who's incredible. And he has these signs. Instead of a stop sign, it's shaped like a stop sign, but it says start on on it. Um, and instead of a yield sign, it says grow. And he basically takes real signs and he puts like beautiful words on them. And this other artist wrapped them in flowers. So they became this like incredible thing. And I looked at that and I was like, I want to do that. I want to curate an art exhibition as a love letter to Los Angeles. I'm going to do this but I don't really have the budget right now because of like what's going on at Unplug. I need to spend my money on other things. So I came back and I decided to pick up the phone. I called the artist and I said, I'm obsessed with your work. I want to do it in the windows of Unplug Meditation that's right on Wilshire Boulevard. I will invite the New York Times, the LA Times, everybody to come to the big unveiling. Can I meet you? Can you come? He came four days ago. He's like, I see it. I want to do it. I'll give you the signs for free. Great. So we are going to be launching and we're going to do this um, by the 19th. So are you still here on the 19th? I leave for Italy on the 19th. Shame. We're going to um, set it up on the 18th. So maybe you can pop by. Okay. Okay. So we're going to do this crazy art installation in there. And what I'm struggling with is I'm still looking for either the person who can do the floral part or the person who can do the greenery part. I think um, I got, I think I got a floral guy, but they have to do it for free. Just for the class. He'll do it. He'll do it. He'll do it for free. Um, his, I'll tell you who his name is. He won't care. Um, his name's Anthony Morrison. He owns Morrison. He's a hair, he's a hairdresser hair cutter dresser. I don't know what they call themselves. He won sheer genius, uh, in the first year. He 
um, I just got my hair cut and I, I, I shit. Bad. Thank you. I shit you not. He said to me, you know what I'm passionate about doing? I said, what? He said, I love hair, but I'm passionate about floral arrangements. And I want to be able to create some sort of business where I can, like, a, I can do master classes on teaching people how to do this. Cause this is, and he went on and on and on and on. This is exactly what he needs to do. And he's incredibly civic minded. He's putting flowers on, I, we live in Hermosa. He's putting flowers on the street signs in Hermosa to dress it up. So it's like exactly what you're describing. So I'm going to connect you to. Oh, I would love it. If you could do that right after this. I'll pod. do it. I will. I'll put, I'll, I'll put a joint chat on Instagram for okay. both of you guys. He's Great. wonderful. Um, well, that's good. I'm glad that can happen. Um, okay. I'm not couple- struggling with that anymore. Do I need to do anything? <laughs> um, a couple more questions. What book have you reread or re-listened to the most? Story Brand by Donald Miller. I'm taking the Business Made Simple course by Donald Miller. And he did Marketing Made Simple too. It was Story Brand that I've read several times. Okay. Story and Brand. I recommend it to everyone. Yeah. Story Brand, you can read it a thousand times. And at the end of a thousand times, you're like... I still don't know if I have my story right, but it's getting better. I need that one-liner. <laughs> help me. No. Um, okay, last question. We're going to change things up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? Oh, where, if you could accomplish anything and have your legacy be a one-liner, what would it be? So Rob was dot, 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 and he accomplished dot, 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 whether well, you accomplished it or not. If I can rephrase it a little bit, I'll tell you what popped into my head. And that is similar to something you said earlier, which I, don't, I wrote down, but I don't remember exactly. But the first thing that popped in my head is that we are not our results. Mm-hmm. And when I think about the things that have most impacted me in my life, the things that are the most significant, significant for me, they have nothing whatsoever to do with work and everything to do with family and friends and connections and things like that, making a, making a difference like that. And how I would most want to be remembered for lack of a remembering exactly mm-hmm. what you said, it would be that I went all in on my life, not in the areas of business, because that's sort of easy to get lost in. But I went all in on all the other areas of my life, my wife, my children, my health, um, art, culture. And it was equally as important for me to be well-rounded than it was to simply grow a business. Because my natural reaction is if I say I want to make a million dollars and I make a million, and if I make a million six months into the year, I'm going to try and find a way to make 2 million. And it's not because I need 2 million. It's because it's my default. It's what I do. And I want to start looking at, because my life is half over. I used to be able to double my life. You know, I used to be able to go, I'm 40. Well, I still got twice as much left. I'm starting mm-hmm. to hit that point where I can't double it the way I used to. Mm-hmm. And I want to spend the remainder of my life really 
get, that's why we're moving to Florence, really getting lost in all those other areas mm-hmm. so that I can just be more well, more well-rounded. I want to learn more. There's so much to see. I want to do it. So long answer. I hope that answered the question. It did. Um, it's interesting that you say that too, because I always refer to this period of our lives because we're almost the same age as Q3. It is Q3. Yeah. We're only in Q3, by the way. Um, So we're in Q3 and Malika Chopra, it was her 50th birthday yesterday, Deepak's daughter. And I went to her birthday party and I was telling her about my Q3 philosophy, how I want to just like live and give and, you know, embrace art. And she said, that's, that's very what was the word she used? But basically that's what they do in India. So the beginning of your life is about education, Q1. Q2 is about family and building your career. Q3 is about giving back. Mm. And Q4 is about... Biting the... Biting reflecting the, take, <laughs> and letting go. Reflection the, and letting go. Taking the dirt nap. Well, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, interviewed, uh, I interviewed somebody. I'll leave you with this. I interviewed somebody... Not that long ago, um, and he's working with a guy named Ray Kurzweil. Does that name ring a bell to you? He's um, he's uh, one of these futurist guys, and he said, "If you are in your fifties now, your chance of making it to one hundred and thirty are eighty percent, based on where we are in terms of longevity." and taking a pill that has a camera that looks at your genes and changes all kinds of things. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe we'll be in Q2 a little longer than, uh, than, than we hoped. Um, but bonus listen, years. yeah, bonus years. Why yeah, not? That is the bonus, the bonus years. Well, your, your superpower to me is you have an unbelievable ability to be present. And that is, I'm sure a result of the amount of meditation that you've committed yourself to. You are doing amazing work in the world. I am going to be downloading the app. We're going to link um, everything up in the show notes so people can get the app. Um, And uh, if they're in the Los Angeles area, maybe even uh, stop in for one of your hybrid classes. Do you have um, an ask um, for any of the listeners before I let you go? Yes, sure. I do. Because you know what? I learned something interesting today. When you have a business, you talk like this and you're afraid to ask for stuff, but I can actually <laughs> ask for stuff. So guys, I want you to download the Unbought Meditation app. And I would like for you to take the Good Vibration Challenge that starts on August 1st and meditate every single day. Just wake up, download the app, press the button, and meditate first thing in the morning. Okay, you're going to feel so much better. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, Excuses are over. It's time to live.